The Anchored City Podcast is recorded in Anchorage, Alaska, on the traditional lands of the Denina Athabascan people. on in Anchorage. Through the first three quarters of this year, the Anchorage Police Department reported just eight murders and a general downturn in crime across the board. This is in contrast to the way that 2019 ended. A January 4, 2020 Anchorage Daily News article reviewing crime in 2019 had the headline, Near Record Homicides in Anchorage Show Little Public Safety Progress. Over the past five years, the city has had record high homicide rates two out of five years. In 2015, the number of murders doubled from the previous year to 26. And since then, the number has been above 26 every single year. In 2016, former police chief Mark Mew commented that the homicide rate in Anchorage has always run between 12 and 24. That was sort of the rule of thumb. We rarely did better than 12, and we rarely did worse than twice that. Murder is just one form of violence, But the feeling in the city in recent years is that violence, and crime in general, is on the rise. A poll published in the Alaska Dispatch News in January 2017 reported that 62% of the respondents who had 30 years or more residency in the city felt that crime was on the rise. But here we are in 2020, at the start of the fourth quarter, and crime is down. Theft is down, burglary down, Stolen vehicles, drunk driving, vandalism, all down. Violent crime, assault, sexual assault, robbery, and homicide were each down as well. As we saw in our previous episode, violent crime has always been part of Anchorage. However, what if it could be a smaller part of our future? What if the trend of falling crime and less violence could continue? On this episode, we will consider violence in Anchorage and how we all might be part of making our city a more safe, and peaceful place. Oceans, and there are deserts that I have yet to cross. And I have dreamed of faraway places where imagination just gets lost. And I would search the wide world over. To get a better understanding of violence in the city, I spoke to two people who are working to respond to and prevent violence. Uh, Well, my name is Tammy Willis, and I am the uh, Violence Prevention and Education Coordinator with AWAKE. Uh, Part of my responsibilities in that position is also to serve as the facilitator for the Anchorage Alliance for Violence Prevention, or AAVP. Uh, So I facilitate those meetings uh, and the coalition itself. Um, I also play a major role in a lot of the violence prevention programming and planning that we do. 
Um, my pronouns are she and her, and I'd like to uh, recognize that I'm honored to live and work on Denina land. Well, Awake um, started back in the 1970s, basically as a, a women's shelter um, to give women who have been victims of domestic violence a place, safe place to go while they try to rebuild their lives. Um, over the, the decades, uh, they've expanded their services to include prevention um, and a variety of other case management services, so it's not just a shelter. They also don't just serve women. They also serve men and children, uh, as well as uh, all members of the LGBTQ spectrum. So they've, they've really done a good job of becoming the end-all, be-all, so to speak, for um, domestic violence in terms of providing shelter, safe place for people to go, case management service for people to rebuild their lives, and prevention services to try to prevent and change the culture around domestic violence. My name is Victoria Shanklin. Um, I also go by Tori, and I'm the Executive Director of Victims for Justice. I've been in this role for about three years. I um, am, was born and raised in Alaska, though, in an Anchorage area. Yeah, Victims for Justice serves victims of violent crime, uh, and we specialize in crime that's outside of domestic violence and sexual assault. Um, so that doesn't mean that we don't work with that or there isn't some overlap in some way. Um, but really, there are a number of organizations throughout the state that specialize in just those things. And so our niche, if you will, is serving victims of assault, arson, robbery, homicide, kidnapping, DUIs, those other kinds of things that sometimes are trapped in this really broad range of other crime. We are a statewide organization, um, and part of what it means to assist victims of violent crime is it's anything from um, right after a crime has occurred and that initial need for frequently, it actually, because you're in a state of trauma, it's really some really basic things like it's financial assistance, it's logistics, it's some pretty basic things. Um, you're not even really dealing with the emotional piece always right then and there. And then throughout, whether that is um, talking to uh, law enforcement and figuring out where the case is or what's going on, or further down the road in the legal system and what that means for you and your family when you have rights to speak, when you have rights to you know, discuss certain things, and then just what to expect in terms of timeline um, and things like that. So that's a very long process, and especially given right now, considering um, you know there are trials that are pushed out nearly four years in some cases in Anchorage area. Well, we were delayed before, and then COVID, so it just like brought everything to a whole nother level. Yeah, which, as you can imagine, when it comes to healing or starting that process or any kind of closure, I mean, it's unfortunate. I asked Tammy and Victoria about what violence looks like in Anchorage. Um, violence looks like different things for different people. Um, it, it really does. Um, I think that one of the things that we are recognizing is the role of equity and the lack of um, and how that influences violence. Um, when you look at the victims that are, are showing up at the shelter or seeking case management services, you know, almost 30% of them are, are native women, but yet they only make up about 16% of the population in Anchorage. 
Um, when you add in people of color, I mean, that's that's a lot of who we're serving are by or people of color and indigenous folks um, because while they're the least represented in Alaska, they are the ones who are more likely to live in situations where equity, whether it's economic, racial, social, or whatever, is not playing in their favor. Um, and as a, as a consequence, they're the ones who are struggling with violence the most. Um, the violence can take on different shapes and forms. Um, you know, that's one of the things that when you look at domestic violence, domestic violence is a cycle. It's not just a one-time incident where violence happens. You can actually see it happening and building through this cycle where, you know, you get into a relationship, everything's great. And then you find yourself starting to change to please your, your partner. Um, the partner starts to become controlling, maybe takes over the finances or, you know, watches your phone, demonstrates some jealousy, the tensions start to rise. Um, and, you know, a lot of the name calling and the verbal abuse and everything that, that goes into that's also violence. Um, and then you have the big explosion where it become physical, but we have to take into mind that keep in mind that, that violence, domestic violence is not a one-time occurrence. It's a cycle. It looks different for different people, but we notice there are some similarities. Um, domestic violence is, is not about love. It's about one partner controlling another partner. You know, it's broad. It really is. Um, I think a lot of people have seen the headlines over the years that our homicide rates have been extremely high. This year, actual numbers for homicide have luckily been down, but that doesn't mean that violence hasn't been occurring. But I mean, I think it, that that's, again, the hard part when we talk about other crime is it's like all of a sudden this all encompassing. The majority of the work that Victims for Justice does, um, when we break down our services, I mean, we have quite a few just assaults. Uh, the thing about an assault, though, too, is the way that that's categorized. It could be anything from a gunshot wound to like a physical fist fight. Um, and it really just depends. And so we just have to understand when we're talking about violence that we are talking about an extremely wide breadth. And we're not just talking domestic violence is a huge concern. We know that in the state. So is sexual assault. Those are all acts of violence. Um, but again, then you have child abuse and you have um, like just again, other types of violence, which is the assault, the robberies, hit and runs, things like that. You know, to be honest, all of the, so I haven't pulled our numbers super recently for our organization, um, but the last time I was looking, I mean, we just had high rates of violence across the board. Um, and again, that's not to, I think a lot of the time the conversation focuses on those two big ones that gain a lot of attention, which is incredibly important, but it is across the sector that we really do have high rates. I asked both Tammy and Victoria about how we might prevent violence in Anchorage. Please excuse the jet noise on Victoria's answer. The Air Force doesn't stop for podcasts. Yeah, so there's there's a, a couple different kinds of efforts that are going on right now. Um, Victims for Justice is part of the Anchorage Alliance sorry, it's AAVP and I have to get my acronyms correct, right? Um, Anchorage Alliance for Violence Prevention. Um, there's a lot of acronyms in our worlds. <laughs> and um, that one is a collaboration um, with many organizations throughout the 
um, in, throughout Anchorage, but um, some of them also operate statewide, but that includes Awake, Alaska Legal Services, Bridge Builders, Girls on the Run. Um, and so Victims for Justice is lucky to be part of that leadership team, as well as just a part of the committee. And I know that a lot of what they're doing uh, is starting community conversations um, and platforms to discuss violence and violence prevention. And they're really putting an emphasis on hearing from underrepresented and underserved populations. Um, they're also uh, partnering with the municipality and equity and justice office, again, to ensure that like all voices are being heard in this process. Um, they've been working on different uh, things to just consolidate resources as well. Um, but I do know that it's kind of like in the starting stages and figuring it out. I know things like Girls on the Run are really trying to on the forefront of kind of those prevention pieces. Whereas like, again, if you have the healthy communities, healthy activities built in. I think that um, there's also different work groups that are taking action in different ways. So um, the Alaska Criminal Justice Commission has a couple different work groups that have heard from victims specifically. Um, and there is um, the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Persons work group that's going on. So the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Persons work group is really working to, to have that quick response. And same with there's another one um, led by the FBI, which is about that quick response and mass terrorism. Um, and those are all just really essential to how we are responding to violence immediately and instantly so that it doesn't continue and doesn't get worse. Um, well, the, the, the way Wake became involved is that we applied for a grant um, to try to help put together a coalition. Uh, there had been a coalition, a loose coalition before um, the, the grant, which I believe was about a year and a half ago. Well, actually, no, they're three years into the grant, four years into the grant. So it's been in the works for a while. Um, and I, I do apologize for not knowing all the exact history. Um, I actually came on board in this position in July. Um, so basically it was a transitional moment. Um, Summer, who had been the facilitator before I before me, she's the one who helped work through the grant, get the grant, build the coalition. Um, they had 30 plus active members uh, of part of this coalition. And basically what it is, is it's a, a variety of different organizations that are all working towards prevention. Not all of them are working towards um, violence prevention, but the efforts and work that they're doing in other areas does relate, like Recover Alaska. They're working towards trying to, to prevent substance abuse. Um, and we know that substance abuse is a contributing factor to domestic violence. So everybody kind of has a slant um, that would impact violence through the work that they're doing. So the coalition came about because there were all these people who were working in these silos towards prevention that we're actually interconnected. So we needed a way in order to bring those folks to the, the table to talk about prevention, find out what people were doing and figure out how we could raise up those efforts, so to speak. So up until recently, the efforts have really been about building the coalition, bringing people in, um, getting as many different perspectives as possible and so forth. And recently that, that effort is starting to shift. We have a nice size coalition. We have a lot of people who are doing a lot of really, really great work, but now we're trying to figure out how do we engage members in the coalition so that we're capitalizing on those strengths and those skills that they bring to the table. And at the same time, how do we engage the community? Um, 
that's a big part of, of what needs to come next because you can't change a culture around violence until you start engaging the community in the conversations about violence. So we have recently started our community conversations. Um, we've had three. These are right now in an online format where we bring in community leaders from different communities and ask them to engage their community in, in the topics that they feel are relevant to their community or need to be discussed by their community. So our first one was Kyle Hopkins, who kind of kicked us off talking about the work that he had done on the Unheard Project. Uh, and then we had Andrew Watson, uh, who started, who, who came to the table and was talking about the, the man box and how do we help men step outside the man box, as well as how does that man box trap men into cycles of behavior that they would rather not engage in. And then we had uh, Joshua Medina, who talked about how do we raise boys into successful or respectful manhood so that they don't get trapped in the man box in the, to start with. We have two more coming up. Uh, one will be uh, with a men's group who will be talking about how men can regain honor um, and become basically how do they heal from the trauma they've experienced in order to become the role models that we need boys to become uh, when it comes to addressing the, the man box and violence. Uh, and then we also have a community conversation planned with some students from University of Alaska Anchorage uh, who are going to talk about dating and COVID. So we're, we're trying to engage different pockets of community, um, especially the pockets of community that aren't, aren't well represented as part of the conversation to start with. So we're talking about youth, we're talking about men, we're talking about people of color talking about indigenous folks, uh, we're talking about members of the LGBTQ community, you know, all these folks who experience violence in, in slightly different ways um, to try to better understand where those issues are coming from and how we need to change our conversation to make it more welcoming and inclusive to everyone. I asked Tammy how someone might access the conversations that the Alliance for Violence Prevention has been having. Um, well, they can go to our, our website, which is uh, safeanchorage.org, uh, uh, and they can register or they can check us out on our Facebook page and, and register through there. Um, it's all done through Zoom, uh, and we do record the, the things, the, the conversation, so we'll be able to archive them and, and make them available to people after the fact. Um, but mostly it's a very engaging and interactive uh, event. Um, we let the people basically... Uh, AAVP provides the platform. And then the communities that we're working with to have those conversations are the ones that decide on who's their leaders, what topic are they speaking about, and what is that format going to look like. Um, like the one we have coming up on the 12th is going to be a, a group of five men who are going to engage in more or less like a talking circle type of environment. So we're going to try that online and see how that works and what we need to fine tune on that. But we really want it to be um, the format that's going to work best for the community. So there tends to be very a lot of interaction, a lot of engagement from the community. Um, I think the last two that we've had, 90% of the entire conversation was sparked by questions that were being asked by the participants um, of the, the speaker. So it's, it's very conversational, very much like a dialogue people bringing up ideas, possible solutions, and those becoming part of the discussion. Um, it's it's very, been very eye-opening, actually. Uh, we've learned a lot from them. Finally, I asked what people might be missing about violence and violence prevention. Um, you know, I think that it's easy to get isolated in our own worlds. And I think that 
um, when it comes to victim issues and uh, how it impacts us and how it impacts our community is that I think it's really important to understand um, things and take a look at them from a victim-centered approach. I think a lot of the time, you know, sometimes we, we approach things and we're talking about criminal justice reform, right? And so then we only focus on the offender and we only focus on the rehabilitation of that or the process and how it impacts them. But I think it's really important that we take a look at how does the process impact victims as well? What does that process look like for victims? Are resources accessible? Is there an equal balance and equity and even getting to those resources and who is it all affecting? Um, and so I just encourage people as much as possible to take a look at all the lenses when having these conversations. And regardless of the box that you have to check to get the funding from wherever to be able to serve something, um, that we really are taking a holistic approach because, you know, um, again, I was born and raised in this area. I love this area. I purposefully, you know, ran away to college and came back to this area because I wanted to be part of the community that I want to see. And um, we're too small to not be able to like make some of these changes and to be able to not like understand violence isn't something that happens over there. It happens and it affects all of us in our community um, and all of our neighbors. And I think that we don't talk about it. Um, I think we notice the signs in our friends and our family, but we still are hesitant to ask you know, what's going on? Why do you have that black eye? I've noticed that you, you know, you've been to late work, you work late three times and you've always been in tears. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of reluctancy to talk about domestic violence um, or to even recognize that domestic violence is not just about the physical violence. Um, we, we need to be talking about that sooner in terms of being able to react at a, a more appropriate time before it becomes violence. Um, but when it also comes to the prevention work, we have a really hard time engaging men. Um, and we all have our theories as to why, but I think we're seeing that when we want to engage men and we talk about violence prevention or domestic violence, there's this assumption that we're going to assume that all men are perpetrators um, or that all perpetrators are men when we know that's not true. Um, there are women who you know, engage in domestic violence and are the perpetrators. Um, there are members within the LGBTQ community who commit acts of violence against each other. Um, there are you know, men who also engage, but that doesn't mean we need to engage in the rhetoric that all men are bad or all men are evil or all men are responsible because they're not. But at the same time, we know that we can't end violence without engaging men in those conversations. So we really need to figure out how do we engage men in a way that is going to encourage them to step outside that man box, so to speak, um, and, and to be able to stay outside that man box um, where we can engage them. And that's not to say everybody's in the man box or the man box is bad, but society's putting a lot of pressure on men to be a certain way, act a certain way, you know, man up, don't cry, you know, and you have to recognize that men go through their share of trauma. And until we can help them heal from that trauma, we're not going to really be able to engage them in the conversations that we need to. Um, I, I think what we're, we're missing is that one, um, one of the things that I recently learned slash realized is that the man box looks different for 
different men uh, in, in different communities. Like the man box for a gay man is going to look different than a man box for a straight man. Uh, a man box for you know uh, somebody who's from Mexico is going to look different than the man box from somebody who's from Russia. Um, so you know, race, religion, sexual orientation, national origin, all these things play a big role in what everybody's man box looks like. And we can't just assume that one the man box is a one box fits all. So we, we have to start recognizing that there's this intersection of identities that even when we're, we're talking about women, we have to recognize there's an intersection of identities that shapes the experiences with violence differently. Um, and we have to consider that like, an, an example, um, a, a, somebody who's coming from the village who's been you know, a victim of violence um, is not going to know what all the services are available to them. They're not going to know what questions to ask to get the help that they need because they don't know what's available. So a lot of times when you're working with some, some folks from the village, you need to take time and you need to be more thorough in explaining and not assume that they know what you're talking about. Um, for some folks, they have endured a lot of trauma in the villages. And then when they come to the city and they finally feel like they're in a place where they feel safe, they go from being in survival mode to now I have to deal with this trauma. Um, so you, you've got to recognize that you don't know the path other people have walked. So when they do step into your, your facility or they step into your, your services, you really need to take the time to get to know them as a person so that you know what Kind of trauma you're trying to help them heal. Um, so it's 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 actually a lot more complicated than than I ever believed until I stepped into this position. And, I, and I've always played a role in advocacy and and such. But to understand just the layers of of violence um, is pretty amazing. And we need to peel back those layers one layer at a time to get everybody involved. Because as long as there's people and voices missing from the table, we're never gonna solve the problem. Um, so violence is a cultural issue. We see it in every culture, we see it across the board. It, it is an issue that has to be addressed as a cultural shift or a cultural change. And to be honest with you, the people who are gonna shift that culture the most are gonna be our youth. Um, they're gonna be the, the kids that are in high school now, the kids that are going to college, um, and, and the generations that are coming after them, they're going to be the ones that create the change in culture. So they're really the ones that we need to be reaching to the most um, when we're talking about prevention, uh, because they're the ones who are going to create the cultural expectations of what's acceptable and what's not. So we work on issues of equity. Uh, we work on issues of trying to create new cultural norms and cultural shifts through our youth. Um, and we work with a, a variety of organizations that provide proactive as well as reactive um, services to people who've been victims of domestic violence. So it's, it's, there's no one approach that works. It's going to have to be a conglomeration of approaches, um, reactive, proactive, community-driven. But the police aren't here to proactively stop crime. They're the ones that react to crime. So we can't really rely on them. And that's not to, 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 to knock them or anything. That's not their job. Um, it's jobs, you know, it's like people like me and, and the, the AAVP and, and community organizations that are really the ones that are supposed to be changing those cultural norms. You know, if everybody was to say violence is not acceptable, bullying behavior is not acceptable, 
bad language or derogatory language is not acceptable. Um, and starts not just say that these behaviors are not acceptable, but to turn it around and say, but these are the behaviors that are. So role modeling the acceptable behaviors, role modeling kindness, role modeling respect and dignity and how you treat people. Um, addressing, helping to address issues of equity. Uh, just because uh, an issue doesn't impact you doesn't mean it's not impacting other people. So it's being able to, to develop some empathy um, and step outside your own experiences to listen with an open mind and an open heart to other people's experiences. And just because you don't share them doesn't mean they're not true. So it's, it's having faith in humanity again. Um, so that's, that's really what it, I think it boils down to is, is giving people the courage and the skills to be able to say no more violence and then also giving them the courage and the skills and the ability to role model the kindness and the respect and the dignity that we should all be living and, and treating each other with um, and making it safe for people to be vulnerable. Stop putting bad labels on, you know, people who, men who cry or men who show their, their, their feelings or women who, you know, get upset. I mean, these are all things that we just need to kind of step away from. Hearing the theme that the entire community is the solution for violence prompted me to talk to a friend about what her community has done to address violence in Anchorage. Well, my name is Melissa Burke. I'm a business owner and um, I also lead a ministry called Worship and Justice Movement, which facilitates citywide prayer and worship events here in Alaska. I asked Melissa about a Worship and Justice Movement event that addressed violence. Well, part of what got that whole event started was I was a part of the Anchorage Urban Peacemaker Fellowship, and we spent, what, nine months talking about how do we address violence in our city, and we looked at it from lots and lots of different angles, um, but we kept kind of getting overwhelmed with the enormity of the problem, right? Like, well, violence is a really broad category. What do we mean by that? What, I mean, is there a specific kind of violence we're trying to solve? Because you actually, like, when you look at the idea of violence, it's so broad, you have to kind of narrow it down to, well, what can we actually take action on? And that's a really hard thing to wrestle with. Um, and so after spending nine months talking about how are we going to do this, I had kind of just a crazy idea. What if we hosted a prayer meeting? about this problem that we can't fix? <laughs> what if we prayed and asked God to intervene where we don't know how to intervene? And that is what started that event in August of 2018. Yeah, so our goal was um, that this would be a diverse um, expression of the body of Christ. So we invited a lot of different pastors and leaders from all over the city to come and be a part of leading um, prayer in that area. And we prayed about some really broad categories that um, violence is attached to. I like to think of um, violence as kind of a Medusa's head kind of issue, where if, you if you're not familiar with the legend, Medusa was this Greek mythological character who had snakes for hair and each strand was a different snake. And so when you look at the issue of violence, um, you have 
violence, Medusa's head, and then you have different strands of what that violent expression is. So a lot of times violence happens in families, it happens um, because of addiction, it happens be, uh, in the form of sexual assault. Sometimes people turn to that because um, they're desperate, they have an, an economic problem that they're trying to solve, or you know, it could be something as, as blunt as, as just murder or assaulting someone. So um, we prayed into those five different categories of, um, or topics, if you will, of um, places that are attached to violence and ask God to just kind of intervene in that space. I asked Melissa about the outcomes of the event. Actually, the coolest thing, so I, I'm a nerd. I keep track of um, the, the FBI uniform crime report every year. And what it does is it comes out every year and it talks about all of the crime statistics of the year prior. So in 2019, they actually released the uniform crime report for 2018. And what we found was the murder rate had dropped by 24%. That was actually a specific thing that we had prayed because in the five years previous, the murder rates had increased every year for five years straight. And in a community like Alaska, where we are small enough that we feel that impact. And I know in the year before that we were, it felt like every weekend there was a new murder report. Um, so in 2017, we saw 62 murders in the state of Alaska. In 2018, we saw 47, which was a substantial drop, which was just amazing. I asked Melissa if there was anything she wanted to add or if there is anything I was missing about violence. You know, I said this earlier, when we talk about violence, it's such a big, broad, scary, overwhelming, where do you even start kind of topic, right? You would have to narrow it down to what kind of violence do I want to solve? Because <laughs> there's so many different forms. I mean, even, even our criminal system has broad categories of types of ways that people hurt each other. <laughs> so when we talk about violence, it feels like this massive, overwhelming, gosh, what can we do to even do anything about that? And from a Christian perspective, where I come from, we can look back at the first time that this happened in the Bible. It happened in Genesis between two brothers, Cain and Abel. And um, one of the brothers murdered the other because they felt like um, the other brother had something that they wanted. And I feel like when it comes to violence, when it comes to these really big community issues, it's easy for those things to feel disembodied because they're far away until they show up in our space, right? And what I wonder, along with, you know, the power of prayer, because yes, I believe that we need God to intervene in places where we don't even know what's going on inside people's hearts. But beyond that, I, I wonder if the solution for violence is actually learning how to be a great neighbor. It's, it's learning the names of the people who live on my street and showing up and asking how they're doing and actually caring <laughs> because violence doesn't just happen 
randomly. There's a reason for it. And it often happens in isolation, right? Like people who are vulnerable feel trapped and they can't get out. But if someone who cared showed up and just said, how are you doing really? I really do want to help. I wonder if the, those numbers would decrease. I wonder if we would see some changes in our community because people don't feel stuck and they feel like there are people who care and who would help. I, I don't think that there's a one size fits all answer, but I do think that people can personally take practical action in ways that would serve the community that don't feel like a big deal, right? Like it's it's the baby steps. It's the, I, I went and learned all of the names of my neighbors on my, on my street and they have my phone number and they know that they can call or text if they need help, you know? that it's it's those little tiny steps that that shift our community away from isolation and me against you and i have to compete with you for resources or whatever and actually knit us into a community of care and that i think could really change some some statistics in our state One of the earliest murders in human history is recorded in the sacred scriptures of the Jewish and the Christian faith. In the fourth chapter of the Bible, in Genesis 4, Cain kills his brother Abel. The story goes that after the murder, Cain has a conversation with God. Cain is asked, where is your brother? To which he replies, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? God's answer is, what have you done? Listen, Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Croatian theologian and public intellectual Miroslav Volf says about this conversation that it shows that life and community means sharing a common social space and taking responsibility for each other. The residents of Anchorage share a common social space. The city in all of its physical and virtual locations, in all of its communities, and all of its walks of life. And how might the future be different less violent, if we sought to take care of each other. To prevent and lower the violence in Anchorage, it will take all of us being good neighbors, sharing this city together, and taking responsibility for each other. Oh, the strength I gather And with all those lessons learned With the crazy long life that I lived already and the scars I earned I still can't seem to find the answers And though the questions I never knew But loving you just once was worth it Even if I, I can't have you Our guests each shared a self-care, mindfulness, or spiritual practice that sustains them in the work that they do. Here's what they had to say. 
I'd like to say that, you know, I've got this, this routine where I meditate or I commune with nature. Um, but I'm someone who responds because of strong emotion. So I listen to other people's stories. Um, I listen with an open mind and I just listen with an open heart and I empathize and the angst and the anger and the frustration that comes from listening to other people's stories with a, a mind open for empathy um, becomes that, that fuel for me um, to keep me pushing forward. So, you know, like I said, I, I'd, I'd love if it had come through some prayer meditation or, or something because it would be a, a lot less chaotic. Um, but the truth of the matter is my, my inspiration, my motivation, it comes through listening to people's stories. Um, and I know that when people tell their stories, it can be very healing for them. Um, and it can also produce change. And I think that's what's important. Yeah, so I tend to be a gung-ho, do all the things, let's just take that mountain and subdue it kind of person. And uh, because of that, I've actually experienced burnout in ministry and for a long time had to spend time healing and recovering from uh, being a getter dunner to learning how to just be. And one of the practices that I use is an, an ancient spiritual practice that comes from the Jewish tradition of Sabbath keeping. And the idea is for a 24 hour period, I cease from working, like even chores. I don't do chores on my Sabbath day. I cease from doing all of the activities of normal life and I pause for 24 hours in this holy space that's set aside for me and God, and I rest trusting that God has what I don't, that he is able to carry and do things that I can't. And it, and in that practice, I actually embrace my human limitation and my inability, and I replace it with trust that God actually can do what I'm unable to. Meditation has actually been a huge piece of my life. Uh, I, I was in the Peace Corps um, years ago, and when I was in the Peace Corps, I was able to do a 10-day meditation retreat up in the mountains of Romania, just super random. Um, but it became a huge part of how I understand or interact with the world. And I would say that it taught me tools that I probably, even if I don't meditate every day, um, I use them because it taught me a lot about how I respond to the world and how then I should move forward or when to listen to myself and listen to my body and what's going on. The Anchored City podcast is grateful for a grant from Resonate Global Mission that in part makes this podcast possible. We are also grateful for our partnership with Street Psalms. Check them out at streetpsalms.org. And we're grateful for you, our listeners. If you are grateful for what you are hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and recommend us to your friends. Resources used to make this episode can be found in the show details. The Anchorage City Podcast is hosted by Joel Kickenfeld and is a production of the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative. The mission of the collaborative is to train the head, heart, and hands of urban leaders to love their city and seek its peace. When we say peace, we mean the desire to see a world where all things are the way they are supposed to be for all people. 
Find us online at anchorageutc.org and on social media at Anchorage UTC. Our theme song is by Anchorage's own Monica Letton.